Today I want to shift the conversation a little bit. And, uh, you know, if you hear me preach long enough, I've already once gotten there. But if you listen to me preach long enough, eventually, most every sermon comes back to food. Have you noticed that about me yet? Quite often, bluebell, <laughs> brownies, <laughs> I do like donuts, German chocolate cake, it's all good, it's all good. If it's not good for you, it's all good for me, <laughs> you know, I, I really like food. I eat food every single day. Matter of fact, I eat multiple meals a day. I'm not going to tell you exactly how many, but I'm just going to tell you that fourth meal at Taco Bell was created for me. <laughs> I, I, you know, I love to have dinner with people, and you know, every day, I'm, you know, it seems like I'm having dinner or lunch with somebody. We're at, at the office here working, and we run to grab some food, or maybe I swing by and have lunch with someone. And but I love eating, and I love eating with people. But then every now and then. I get invited to dinner. And I don't mean just like a casual, hey, let's, let's grab a quick bite. I mean an actual dinner where it's prepared. Or maybe I invite someone over to our home for dinner. And, and, and when someone invites you to go to dinner and say, hey, I'd really like to take you to dinner. I'd really like you to come to my home for dinner. There's something different about that. If you, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like there's just, well, we're going to have lunch together real quick. And then there is, let's go to dinner. There's something formal about it. There's something different about it. It, it, it takes on a different feel. Now, you, you start asking questions, lady, when, when, ladies, when you're going to some dinner at someone's home or dinner at a nice restaurant. One of the first questions that comes to mind is, what am I going to wear? We start thinking, I, I, I'm, um, I have, I know you're going to find this hard to believe as a pastor, but uh, I get nervous around people, especially new people. And so you put me in a private setting. You put me up here, got this nice little space here we call an altar, and you, I'm safe from everybody. But you put me at a table, and I, and I start to get a little nervous, and I, and I don't always know what to talk about. And, I, and so I have to literally come up. When, when I was, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them myself, is that all right, Pastor Angel? Um, this is off topic, but when I was, uh, when I was a young pastor and I just went to uh, uh, be the Bo uh, campus pastor in Beaumont, when I would be on the stage preaching, I would be fine. When I would walk off, I would get so nervous. My mouth would get dry. Uh, I would start getting tongue-tied. I couldn't put thoughts together. So I had literally had to memorize five questions to ask people when I talked to them. And I would go through all five of those questions praying that somebody, whoever I'm talking to would take the conversation and run with it and we could go from there. And I would literally go right down the list of questions, one, two, three, four, five, just praying, please take the bait on one of these so we can have a conversation. If not, I would panic at the end of number five and it would be this awkward like, have a good day. <laughs> People would just look at me like, what's wrong with that guy? <laughs> Thankfully, I have gotten a little better. But when I go to dinner with people, like immediately, I start thinking about what are we going to talk about? Who's going to be there? Like before I commit, I want to know who's going to be there. I want to know when I come to your house for dinner, is there an agenda? Like, are you bringing me to your house because you need help with something? Are you bringing me to your house because you just want to hang out with me a little bit? Are you bringing me to your house because you want to get to know me better? Are you bringing me to your house because you want to tell me off? It's been all of the above for me. I don't even know. 
So these questions come to my mind when I get an invitation to dinner. So if you ever invite me to dinner, just start answering the questions. I'm just telling you right now. I'm already asking them. The moment you say, can we have dinner, they're rolling in my mind. What are we going to do? Where are we going to be? Who's going to be there? What are we going to talk about? Are you mad at me? Do you love me? Do you want to just spend time with me? Are you trying to get me told? Do you want to talk about a ministry you want to start or a, or a, a business you want to start? I'm good with all of it. I just need to know. Do y'all get social anxiety like that? You do, Rikita? Thank you. Because I was feeling all alone for a minute. Some of you are just looking at me like, you're just crazy, Pastor. You're just weak. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> but then you get the invitation and you answer and you show up. A few times a year, I get to really, I, I live my life at such a fast pace. You know, I have dinner with my kids on the run. You know, it's, it's racing out the door. Uh, you know, it, it just life, the, the, the pace we live at in America today, me included, is just often so fast, 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 that I never get to slow down and have dinner. But every now and then I do. And I love those moments when it's like, I want you to come to dinner or let's have dinner together. Maybe it's a restaurant. Maybe it's someone's home. And I especially love when they say, leave the kids at home. I'm like, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> just a moment to relax and breathe. Let me ask you this question though. What if God invited you to dinner? What if you went home and, and tomorrow you got home from work, you checked the mail, you'd opened up the mailbox and there was an invitation, formal invitation night, the nice, the envelope inside the envelope, you know, those kind, you open up the envelope only to find another envelope that you're going, what is this all about? We're just wasting money now. So you open the second one and here it says, uh, I want to God, the creator of heavens and earth, Yeshua, Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim invites you to dinner. First off, would you be thinking, is this a joke? And then our immediate reaction, if we realize this is not a joke, might be absolutely. How many of you say, I'd love to have dinner with God? I'd love to have a dinner with God. That would be fantastic. But then the thoughts start to kick in. All the questions start to kick in, right? Like, I don't know if I can have dinner with God. Ladies, what am I going to wear? What do you wear to have dinner with God? That's a, that's, that's a legitimate question right there. I, my wife and I would be standing across the room and looking at each other going, and she's going, Brandon, you're not helping me. And I would be going, I have no idea what to wear myself. There's nothing in this closet that fits to have dinner with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're going to Dillard's. I'm lying. It's Marshall's. <laughs> so, so all of a sudden, it's what do we wear? And then we say this. Oh, my God. What does he want to talk to me about? And when I get there, is he going to know all of my secrets like immediately? Is he just going to all of a start saying, sudden saying, well, you did this and you did this and you did that. And what in the world were you thinking there? And why'd you say this? And why'd you commit that sin? So you know, in our minds, you know, when we have those questions, then we do the immediate thing when you show up at dinner, the first thing you start doing is apologizing. Lord, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to do it. And I just, before we get this dinner started, before anything happens, God, I just wanted to tell you everything I've done. And God's just saying, man, I was just trying to welcome you in and say, you know, how are you doing today? And you're just dumping all your stuff on me. The anxiety would take over. What if God 
came to dinner. We're starting a new series called Table Talk. What if God came to dinner with you? What if he invited you to the table? And he had it all decorated and laid out, beautiful, ready to eat. What if God invited you to dinner? Grab your Bibles with me and turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Psalm 23. That'd be about midway through the Old Testament. Page 450. <laughs> Psalm 23. Are you there? That wasn't enough. Do you have your Bibles out? All right. You can be reading on your iPhone. That's okay. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff, they protect and they comfort me. That's good stuff right there. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessing. And surely, goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. I love that right there. Goodness, the goodness of God, the unfailing love of God. Is, is it, it isn't just happening in my life. It is pursuing me every day. The goodness of God is coming after you. You've got to know that in your life. If I just keep doing what God tells me to do, it's going to catch me eventually. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Can you say amen to the reading of the word of God? I love this verse, verse 5. The New Living said, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. If, if you grew up reading the New King James like I did, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David gives us some insight here. He said, God invited me to dinner. And I got all dressed up and ready to go. And I showed up at the table only to find out that there were other people there. That they weren't my friends. They weren't my family. It wasn't my pastor. It wasn't, no, no, no. My enemies crashed the party. Now what is up with that? God, you invited me to dinner and my enemies crashed the party. God, I'm trying to have a relationship with you and my enemies are always working against me. God, I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to be in relationship with you. And my enemies are always fighting against me. Why is it that our enemies are crashing the party? Here we are, our long-awaited dinner with God. We got all dressed up, and here are our enemies. What are you guys doing here? Who invited you? I want to talk to you on this subject today. Enemies at the table. Enemies at the table. Enemies at the table. Have we prayed yet? No? Father, I thank you for your presence that's here today. Lord, I feel something stirring that you want to do something wonderful in our midst. That there, there's something different happening today, God. Speak to us. Open our hearts, our minds, our spirits. 
Let us hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. God, let my words not be mere words of man's wisdom, but lace them with the power of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of your son, Jesus. I thank you for it right now. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people said, amen. Amen. I'm going to give you five possible enemies. Now, these are just five. They could be any number of other enemies. So here's what I want to, here's what I want to challenge you over the next few minutes. I want you to get the principles of what we're talking about. But if these specific five aren't yours, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you and put your enemies at the table. Okay? Number one, the first enemy, I show up at the table. The first enemy sitting right here closest to me is my past. The old me. The things I used to do. The person I used to be. The mistakes I've already made. Here's the problem with our past. The problem with the past is it already happened and there is a measure of truth with everything your enemy the past says. So when the past says you did this, I can't argue because I did it. When the past says you used to be a liar and a cheat and a fornicator and an adulterer or a, 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 a drug addict or whatever it is you might have been. When the past says that, I have to look at the past and say, well, you know what? You're, you're right. I was that. And then what he does is he uses my past to control my future. So he says, because of what you used to be and what you used to do, I am going to anchor you down and hold you back from being all that God's called you to be. I'm not going to let you move forward because of what you used to do. Your past is an enemy. And he speaks to us. And he mouths at us. And he reminds us of things. You know what he does? We see some person... And it sparks a memory of, what, of something that we did, a mistake that we made. And immediately the same feeling, the same emotions, the same guilt wants to come back on us. And suddenly we cower back because of what we used to do. My past. Well, the second is my flesh. So on, on one side I've got my past. On the other side I've got my flesh. My past is dealing what with what has already happened but the flesh this guy is all about what's happening right now he lives in the present the flesh is trying to get you to sin today the flesh is trying to get you to make that mistake again the flesh is trying to get you to live out the desires of your flesh the desires of what the what uh, what the enemy says is good for you. He's trying to get you to go to lust after things that are not of God. You see, the flesh is at odds with the Spirit of God in your life. He doesn't want you to walk with God. He's trying to pull you away. And here's the, the, the problem with the flesh is this. If you defeat him on Sunday, he shows back up on Monday. Just because you defeated the flesh yesterday doesn't mean you don't have to deal with him again today. I get so sick and tired of defeating the flesh, of trying to crucify the flesh. He keeps coming back and he keeps mouthing and he keeps trying to get me to live out things that I know I'm not supposed to do. 
My flesh is living in the present. He wants me to walk out those desires. Here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature or the desires of your flesh, the results are very clear. How do you know if the flesh is winning in your life? Here are the results. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, so we, we want to think that flesh was just those bad sins. No, look at outbursts of anger. You let your flesh win. Jealousy. You let your flesh win. Quarreling. You let your, your flesh win. Hostility. He keeps on going. Selfish ambition. Dissension. Division. Envy. Drunkenness. Wild parties. And other sins like these. Here's what Paul is saying. I'm giving you a list of them so you recognize it but know that there are more. And just because yours isn't on this list doesn't mean it's not part of your sinful nature, your flesh. And here's the problem. Here's what he says. Let me tell you again. Why do I have to tell you again? Because the flesh keeps rearing its ugly head. And I've got to tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, we can talk about a lot about the love of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God and the mercy of God. And all of those things are true. And he's ready to save you. But at some point, you can't keep living here and expect to inherit the kingdom of God. You can't keep living in all these and expect that you're going to inherit the kingdom of God in the future when you die, nor can you expect to inherit the kingdom of God right here on earth because that's what he wants to do. He's trying to bring the kingdom of God into your life right now, but we can't expect that when we're living this way. When the flesh is winning, it's driving us away from, from God. I want to go to heaven. I just want to get there my way. Flesh, if the flesh wins, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Temptation, temptation, tempted to do the wrong thing, tempted to do what feels good rather than what we know is right. This is not a, a message today on overcoming temptation, but if you're struggling with the flesh in your life, I want to encourage you, get on our app or get on our website and download the series A Way Out. Last year, about September or so, we talked about a way out. God says he'll give us a way out. There's no temptation that can overcome you because God's given you a way out. And there we're principles that we discovered in the Word of God that could change our lives. So if you're struggling with the flesh, get that series. Number three, are you okay today? Yeah. All right, we're going to get somewhere. Number three is my mind. So I've got, I've got my past. He's battling me. Then I've got my flesh trying to convince me to do the wrong thing today. Then over here, I have my mind. When I talk about the mind, I'm talking about things like fear, anxiety, worry, insecurities, doubt, negative thoughts in general. I was talking to my kids this week about our, our thought life, trying to help them understand some things about 
themselves and to grow as humans and as Christians and as just as, as people. And I was trying to explain to them this idea that thoughts are seeds. And it's planted and it begins to grow and then it produces something in your life. Once the seed is planted, eventually it turns into words and life and death is in the power of the tongue and it starts to create something in our life. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Negative thoughts, you don't really even have to plant those. You don't have to water them. You don't even have to make sure they're in good ground. You don't have to put miracle grow on them. Negativity and evil thoughts and negative thoughts can grow like weeds. The world is busy planting them in your mind. The world will be happy to tell you that you are not who you think you are. The world would love nothing more than to plant a seed that you are not a child of God, that you're nothing more than a wannabe failure has been. The world will be happy to fill your mind with negativity. The world will be happy. It, it just comes in and they spring up like weeds and you look up and you're trying to live this beautiful life for God, but it's all full of weeds, full of negativity. I have to battle my own mind. Paul said it like this. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Because Paul knew the enemy... Uh, is it, one of the enemies I have to face is my own mind. God says you can do it, and my mind says, no, I don't think so. God says, yes, you can, and I begin to doubt. I ask God, God, I need wisdom. God, I need healing. God, I need a miracle. But we doubt if He will do it for us. Maybe we know He can. We just doubt that He actually will for you and I. And here's the problem. James says, when we go to God and ask, we cannot ask with doubt because we are a double-minded man and we should not expect to get a good return. Don't expect God to answer you. Don't expect God to do it when you ask in doubt. Don't expect to receive from God. And so we have to deal with the enemy of our mind, with the negativity, with the fear, with the insecurity, with the doubt. We have to say, enemy, you can't have that place in my life. Your own mind is working against you. It's why Paul said in Romans 12 that we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because our mind is our own enemy. Think about it. How many times have you talked yourself out of doing something great, of doing the right thing, uh, of reconciling rather than continuing the fight? How many times have you talked your own self out of it? Well, let's keep going because that's getting a little personal, Pastor Randon. Let's talk about this one. Number four, we'll put this one back here. Number four is the world. The world. Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you belong to the world, but the, the world would love you. But he went on to say in the book of John, you don't love the world. You don't live for the world. But you belong to me, and therefore the world hates you. Look, look, look what he said right here. John 17 and 14. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I want you to understand something. The world wants to own you. 
the world, culture, what is acceptable, what seems right in their own eyes, the way it's done today, what is accepted today, the, the, the philosophies of the day, the philosophies of current culture, the way of the world, they want to own you. They want you to belong. And if you won't belong, they won't love you. In fact, they hate you. Understand something. Understand something and don't be frustrated by this anymore. Why is it that in American culture, Christians have a double standard? We're, exposed to, we're supposed to accept everyone else's religious beliefs, but you won't accept ours because ours are hateful. Why is that? You, understand, you know what I'm talking about? You know, you're a Christian and, and you're not allowed to pray, but others can. And you're not allowed to say that, but others can. We, we want to accept everyone, just not you. That's the way of the world. Here's why. Here's why. Because Christianity, at its core, even with its flaws, is at odds with the world. And you cannot be a Christian and live for God and be in love with the world. So if I don't love the world and I don't belong to the world, then the world hates me. And so we're all frustrated. Why does the world hate us so much? Jesus said it 2,000 years ago. The world is going to hate you. Don't be mad at the world for being the world. Jesus warned us, so don't be frustrated about it. We've got, we've got to keep trying to reach the world. We've got to keep, keep trying to reach out and help the world. But we don't belong to the world, so the world is going to hate you. It just is. You cannot be friends with the world and be in relationship with God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. That's what he said. Friendship with the world. Listen, I want to be in the world. I don't want to be of the world. I don't want the whole world mad at me, but I'm going to be who God's called me to be. And if that makes you mad, I'm sorry. Because here's what I know. If I'll keep being who God called me to be, and if the church would be the light on a, on, the, on a set on a hill like we were called to be, that when in the midst of the darkness, they may be mad at you, but when they need some light, they'll come running. I don't go through, the, through my life every day treating people bad because they're on the other side of the battle. No, 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 no. I'm going through my life like Jesus did. I'm walking through the marketplace saying, who can I reach today? Who can I help today? Who can I, who can I pull out of today? How can I help people right where they are today? This woman's sick. I want to pray for her to be healing. This one's fighting demons. I want to pray for him to be delivered. This one needs a miracle here. This one needs a miracle there. This one's praying for their daughter because their daughter seems to be be dead. I, I want, what can we do today? That's how Jesus went through the world, but he understood. Even when doing miracles, the world hated him. Don't be upset with that. The world is not your friend. The world is your enemy. Don't be put off by it. Don't be worried about it. Don't be upset about it. Don't even try to make friends with the world. Love everyone, but don't love the world. Do you understand the difference? We love people, but we don't love the ways of the world. Number five, number five, right here on the end of the table, right in eye shot of me is reserved for the devil himself. Peter said, be watchful, be sober, be vigilant. That's not the right word. Vigilant, that's it. 
Because your great enemy, the devil, is walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Look, he's prowling. Prowl. He's on the alert. He's looking. He's creeping around in your life, trying to figure out ways to get you. You say, well, when is the devil going to let me alone? Never. Because he's your enemy. We talked about this last series. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He is here to do anything possible. Use any means necessary to get you separated from God. He'll use sickness to get you separated from God. What does that look like? Well, first of all, sickness can demand disease. And if you've ever walked alongside or had something like cancer yourself or, or a difficult disease, and it takes you away from life, it takes you often out of the house of God because you're going through your medical procedures and doing all those things, suddenly we find distance between ourselves and God. Then the next thing that happens, our, our faith can start to waver. We start out, God's going to heal me. But after a month or two months or three months or six months, we begin to wonder, is God going to heal me? And so the, the enemy is saying, I'm just trying to pull you away. He's trying to pull you away. Am I saying that all sickness is called by the, caused by the devil? No, I'm not. I'm just saying that he can use anything at his disposal to pull you away from God. Then something terrible happens. We lose a loved one. We thought they were going to be healed. We thought God was going to heal them. He didn't. He took them to heaven instead. So now what the enemy tries to do is he tries to put a wedge between you and God. Say, see, God doesn't love you. And he doesn't hear you, and he doesn't answer your prayers because he didn't heal that person. Can you relate? The enemy will use any tool at his disposal to drive a wedge between you and God. He'll use lack to steal your faith. You know what? I'll tell you what else he'll do. The enemy won't just take your money, take your uh, resources in your life to steal you away from God. If need be, He'll give you more. He will use success to pull you away from God. He will use success and the pride of life to build you up and think you did it on your own and so that you find no more need for God. Because I, look what I did. He doesn't care. You think the devil cares if you're rich or poor? Think the devil cares if you live in an apartment or a mansion? He couldn't care less. What he wants is to get you away from God. What he wants is, he recognizes, I am going to hell, and I want to take as many people with me as I can. And he'll use any means necessary. He'll use accidents. He'll use the pace of life. He'll use whatever he can to get you disconnected with God. The enemy is not your friend. Satan is not your friend. He is trying to attack you. He is stealing, killing, and destroying. He is like a roaring lion trying to get you he is your enemy. Don't try to make friends with the devil. So the question is, I've got these enemies at my table. And, and maybe, these, maybe you recognize some of these. We're talking in some generalities today. But yours might have specific names. They might have specific faces. They might be specific people. You see, when David wrote this, for David it was very personal. 
And as we study the writings of David and the life of David, we know that he had enemies in nations surrounding all around him that he was constantly at war at. In fact, we know that he, he gathered all of the tools and all the, the materials to build the temple of God, but he couldn't build it. Solomon had to build it because David said, I'm a man of war. There's too much blood on my hands because he was always fighting his enemies from the outside. Then if you study him long enough, you find that on several occasions in his life, not only was David were his enemy people on the outside, but they were his friends, they were his loved ones, they were the people he cared about. He fought, he fought enemies within his own circle. And thirdly, you keep reading about David, and you fight, find that he was fighting himself at times. The mistakes he made. The problems he had caused, the mess ups he had had. You see, it's fine to talk in generalities, but at some point they got to be serious. What enemies are at your table? And then when we realize who they are, what do we do about them? I want to remind you of three things that we learn from just these few words that David writes to us. Would you like to know? First thing I want to remind you of this remind yourself that God's presence is with you. Yes, I'm in the presence of my enemies, but I got to remember who invited me to dinner in the first place. Yeah, my enemies are surrounding me and I've got to deal with them and they're all here and they're loud and they're vocal and they're opinionated and they're shouting at me and they're shouting at each other and it seems like chaos and the presence of my enemies can overwhelm me. I have to remind myself that the presence of God is here too. And here's what David knew. David knew there's two types of the presence of God. First is what we call the omnipresence of God, meaning that God is everywhere all the time. We understand that God is everywhere. He is, God is love and, and God is here and he's, and he's all over these places. But then David said, there is the manifest presence of God. And that's what I've got to know about myself. Right in the presence of my enemies, the manifest presence of God says, God is here with me right now. You see, there's a distinction. Yes, I know that he's everywhere. Yes, I know that he's in, you know, all that. But then there are days when I've got to know that the presence of God is right here with me. And I'm living my life and I'm fighting devils and I'm fighting my past. But the presence of God is with me. Here's what Moses said. God said, Moses, I want you to go take the land. I want you to go fight and, and kick people out of the land. And, and I want you to take back the promised land. And Moses says, God, we'll go. But we're not going without your presence. Because Moses understood with the presence of God, when the presence of God is with me, anything is possible. But without the presence of God, I can't defeat those enemies. I, I got to know something. I can't defeat all these enemies on my own. I can't do it on my own, but the presence of God is with me. So somehow, when we get to the table, we have to, we have to get here and look around and see all these enemies and whatever their names are, whoever they might be, and we have to get them silenced long enough to say, I know that you're here and you're loud and you're trying to get my attention, but my attention is on the presence of the Lord, on the host that brought me to the table. I want to know where He is. As a matter of fact, it's the whole goal of Scripture is to get you back in the presence of God. 
you go all the way to the garden in, in Genesis chapter 1, it was a haven where the presence of God dwelt with man. Sin stepped in and pulled us apart. And all throughout Scripture, God is trying to get us back together. He's trying to get His presence involved back in our life. You go all the way to the end of Scripture in Revelation 21, verse 1 through 4, and you find where the whole point is to create a new Eden, a new heaven, and a new earth where the presence of God can dwell in the hearts of man freely, just like it did with Adam and Eve. That's God's whole goal is to get His presence back in your life. What he wants. He wants you to have the presence of God everywhere you go. I'm fighting enemies. No worries. The presence of God is with me. I don't know how this is going to work. No worries. The presence of God is with me. I don't understand it all. The presence of God is with me. What are you going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know who I'm going to focus on, and it's not my enemies. It's God. I'm in war, but I'm not alone. I'm, going, I'm, going, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not going, God, unless you go with me. But not only is his presence with you, but I want to point out this one simple word he said, and remind yourself that God prepared the table. He prepared the table. Not only is his presence there, but he prepared the table. The word prepared is the Hebrew word arak, A-R-A-K. It means to order, to line up, to make a plan for. Ladies, you have someone over to dinner at your house. You stop and you think, what are we going to cook? Who are we going to invite? How many do I need to prepare for? What ingredients do I need to get? How are we going to serve the food? Do I have the dishes? Do I have the centerpiece for the table? Is everything ready? We get a plan. The other word that this word Iraq is used for is when the generals would gather around and make a plan or a preparation for battle. Here's what I want you to know. You came to the table and you were surprised when your enemies were there. And you said, God, what are they doing here? And he said, oh, they're here because I invited them. They're here because I wanted them here. Because everything I'm about to do in your life everything you're about to overcome. I want your enemies here to serve as a witness to the glory of God that's about to be displayed in you. You see, you thought it was an accident. You thought all these enemies were just out to get you. Why are they all here and where is God? And God is saying, I am right here. I prepared it all along and I just wanted to get you to this place. I've got all the enemies in your life lined up. So you just sit here and you take the napkin and you place it across your lap and you get ready to eat because while you're eating, I'm going to say to your past, past, you're done for. You have no place in his life. And, and flesh, you're gone. And Satan, you're done. You can't, you can't even talk anymore. And, and, and all these things, I'm going to defeat the enemies in your life. You just have to sit there and eat. You don't have to fight the battle. You just eat. Because God wasn't caught off guard by your stuff. He wasn't caught off guard by your mistakes. He wasn't caught off guard by the negative thoughts in your mind or the fear in your life. But he said, I brought you here to deal with it all. I want you to get a hold of this in your life. You, you thought that the enemies were overwhelming you and God said, no, no, I planned it just like this because I'm about to reveal my whole plan and every enemy in your life is going down and you are going to win. I, 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 
as I began to study this and I began to realize and, and, and the enemies in my life, they have names and they have situations and they have places where they're trying to overwhelm me. And at times it feels like I'm losing, but I realized God planned it all along. God was not caught off guard. I was surprised. I showed up to dinner saying, who invited you? And God said, I did. I got them right where I want them. Now I can defeat them. Yeah. See, here's the thing. If your friends say something happened in your life that's unbelievable, if your loved ones say that about you, people say, oh, that's because they're family. But when your enemies are forced to recognize the truth of what God has done in your life, the whole world has to listen. They say, even the people that hate him can't deny what God is doing in his life. Even the people that have tried everything they can to tear him down have to step back and say, yep, you know what? I don't know. I did all I could do, but he still won the battle. And God is saying, I am setting it up so no one can deny it in your life. So don't be mad that the enemies are at the table. Don't, don't be all upset. What are they doing here? Why are you here talking with them and arguing with them? You just sit down and you get your fork and you just get your knife and you start eating because that's what God brought you here to do. He'll deal with the rest. He prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He prepared the table before you in the presence of your enemies. He's got them right where you, he wants them. He's got you right where he wants you. And then here's what I love. You cannot have a filet mignon at McDonald's. You can't do it. But God says, my plan, it has a multiple courses. And I'm going to, you've got... At pre-appetizers and appetizers and salads and fruits and then the main course and, and you've got the steak and the whole deal and the potatoes and whatever it is you like at your dinner and then here's the good news after the dinner comes dessert <laughs> and, and, and God said I have prepared a table before you and it's going to take a little time you might be in the appetizers don't worry just keep eating just keep relaxing in the presence of God because here's what he said eventually in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy. Bluebell is on its way because you're in the presence of God. You're going to win. You're going to get there. So you just keep smiling. Y'all are taking all my time. Give me one second here. Give me one second here. Number three, and, and, and this is the one I really want you to know. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. The table is so important in, in, in Hebrew culture, this meal that, that David is referring to, it's not just a casual meal, but it was prepared. It was done with a reason, with a purpose. And the table was a place of reconciliation. It was a place where peace was made. God wanted you to know this. I prepared a table before you in the presence of, my enemy, of your enemies because I wanted to bring perfect peace to your life. I want you to get that. We feel like as long as the enemies are swirling around us, as long as the storms are raging, we can never have peace. But God said, I want to show you 
that even when everyone is against you, you can still have peace. Even when things aren't going right, even when things aren't looking good, even when you seem to be losing the battle, you can still have perfect peace. Shalom. It's completeness. It's wholeness. It's everything is going to be all right because I'm trusting in my God. The, play, the table was a place of reconciliation. It was a place where treaties were signed. It's a place where warring nations stopped warring any longer. It was a place where sometimes a, a, an enemy would have to give in and say, we surrender. I've got to tell you that God is inviting you to the table of reconciliation with the enemies in your life. See, he's, you're, we're not talking about reconciling with, with, with your loved ones. He's not talking about reconciling with your friends. He's talking about reconciling with your enemies. Well, how do we do that? <laughs> so God looks at your past. And he said, I made a new covenant with you. So let me remind you of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, where God promised, I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. So you're sitting here having dinner and God says... <laughs> He looks over your shoulder at your past and he says, yes, those things happened. And that all that was, yes, that is the case. But I want you to know, I don't even remember them anymore because I have forgiven them. And so now I look up from my meal just long enough to look at my past. And I say, past, yes, I was that person. And yes, I did those things. But God has forgiven me. And so no, I'm not that person anymore. And no, I'll never do them again. And we settle that. Don't be at odds with your past all the time. You never know when your story might be a story of deliverance that changes someone else's life. You see, someone's waiting on you to overcome by the word of your testimony. Don't be upset with it and hiding it. Just say, hey, listen, that's who I used to be, but I am a new creation in Christ. God's changed me and he's healed me and he's delivered me and he's set me free. So you're free to eat. I'm not going to be at war with my past any longer. It's already defeated. So what do we have to do? He forgave us. Here's what we have to do. Receive forgiveness. Can't earn forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. Don't be good enough and then God will forgive you. No, 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 no. Father, forgive me of my sins. Already done, Randon, 2,000 years ago on the cross. I receive forgiveness. He doesn't even remember it anymore. I want to speak that into your life right now. When, when, the, when your past has been mouthing at you and shouting at you, and every time you try to get into the presence of God, he's reminding you of your mistakes. Every time you see a person, it's reminding you of what you used to be, the, the problems you had, the person you used to be. And God is saying, I don't even remember it anymore. Father, I receive forgiveness. I receive forgiveness. So what do we do with our flesh? Well, God says to our flesh, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. Romans 13. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Live right because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. So stop letting the flesh win. You're going to live a decent life for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or in and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Don't let any of those things. Instead, clothe yourself, I love this, with the presence of the Lord. My flesh is pulling against me. No worries, I've got the presence of the Lord here. 
The enemy's at your table talking to you and trying to convince you to do things. No, no I'm, I'm clothing myself with the presence of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Don't even let the flesh have a foothold in your life. Here's what Paul said. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Here's what we got to say. Flesh, we're just going to get this straight. You're crucified. Get on the cross. You can't have any place in my life. You just get on the cross. You just hang there for the day. Yeah, but I'm going to come down in the morning. That's fine. I'm going to put you back there tomorrow. You just stay on the cross every day, every day, every day, every day. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to battle. I'm not going to be overwhelmed. It's already settled. I've made peace with it. The, the, my flesh is going on the cross. When I wake up in the morning, my flesh is going on the cross. Well, okay, my mind. What do we do? What do we do? Well, you've got to know something. You have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is not a defeated mind. It's not a hopeless mind. It's not a negative mind. But it is hopeful. It is hope-filled. It is positive. It is faith-filled. It, it, it sees the good. It sees what God is doing even when the world says it's not. The, the mind of Christ, has. we have a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is subsiding. Anxiety is leaving. Worry is being settled. You have a sound mind. Pastor Randy, you don't know the thoughts that go on in my head. No, no, no. I'm, I'm speaking over you right now. You have a sound mind. You have the mind of Christ. That Your mind is not going to be your greatest enemy any longer. But we're going to take every thought into captivity. Yeah. And we look at the world. The world's a tough one. Because Jesus taught us. And, and, and over the years, certain... Um, Religious sects have tried to live separate from the world, but you really can't live separate from the world. That's not even what Jesus wanted. Jesus didn't go and, and create a hideaway for his followers to come and be with him all the time. But Jesus went right into the middle of the worst of the worst sinners. He went right out into the world. Because Jesus isn't trying to get us to leave the world. He said, you are in the world, but you're not of the world. Here's what I want you to know. <laughs> Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Doesn't matter what the world is trying to say to you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus said, I have told you this so that you might have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Just settle it. You're going to have trials and sorrows as it relates to the world. But take heart because I have overcome the world. He's already overcome the world. He's already overcome. Greater is he that is in you than he's in the world. And then there is Satan. There is Satan. And I've just got to tell you, make peace with the fact that Satan is never going to stop battling you. If we're always looking towards this day when, well, if I can just get him whipped long enough, then he'll never bother me again. No, I'm going to tell you that you can whip the devil one day. And he'll take a little bit of time to gather his strength again. And he'll come back at you in a different way. Because that's what the devil does. He is constantly prowling around seeking whom he may devour. The devil is not going to stop fighting you. But here's what Paul said. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to defeat the schemes or the wiles of the enemy. You can win the battle. You can win the battle. I, I have a nine-year-old son, as you know, and man, I just love that kid. He spent the weekend with me, played baseball yesterday, going back this afternoon to play some more baseball, and I just love this kid. Um, and you know, and as nine-year-old boys do, 
Every now and then, the kid loves to wrestle. And he loves to wrestle me. And he wants to wrestle. And he thinks he can take me down. And he comes at me. He comes at me like a spider monkey. <laughs> and he's jumping. And he's clawing. And he's hanging on. And you know what? It never bothers me one bit. Fathers, your son, when they were young, they do that. Never bothers you one bit. You just laugh. Why are you laughing? I just laugh the whole time. And he keeps coming at me again. And I throw him on the bed. And he comes at me again. And I body slam him on the ground lightly. <laughs> with love and care. I elbow drop him with kindness. And it never bothers me a bit. I am never worried. Because you know why? My nine-year-old son can't take me. And even on his best day, I will throat punch him and show him who's boss. <laughs> I'm kidding. I would never do that. <laughs> you got that CPS on the, on the phone right now. I'm kidding. But the point is this. I'm never worried because my nine-year-old can't take you. Here's what I want you to know. No matter what the devil does to you, you just keep laughing all the way through. Because I just look at my son and say, you want some more? All right, we'll keep going. We'll keep going until he wears out and then he comes at me again. And that's the way the devil is. He can keep coming and he can keep coming and he can keep coming and he can, he can keep coming because I have settled it. I've made peace with the fact that the devil is coming at me. But I'm going to laugh and I'm not going to let him steal my joy along the way. Because what I know is I have already overcome. The devil's already defeated him. That, that if God is for me, who can be against me? And that includes the devil. So I've already won this battle. It doesn't matter. We can keep wrestling. If you want to wrestle, I'm just going to laugh all along the way because every time I defeat you, it's one more chance for God to be glorified in my life. It's one more opportunity that through me, someone else can know Jesus. I'm not mad about it at all. Yes, it makes it difficult at sometimes, and it gets a little annoying, but you know what? It doesn't matter because God is going to win. There, if God is for me, devil you can't be against me can't be against me so I've reconciled it I've reconciled it my team would, would uh, get ready I don't know where they I guess they're all back in the back I've reconciled this in my mind in my heart in my in my life there are enemies at my table and I'm not upset about it because God planned it that way he prepared it that way and I might have to fight some, and I might have to do this, but I'm not worried about it because if God is for me, who can be against me? That God is raising up a standard against every enemy that's trying to attack me. I don't know what the enemies are at your table. There might be some people that you need to reconcile with. You need to go to them and make peace with. Stop trying to prove yourself right and start trying to reconcile. We've got to come to the table of reconciliation and get some things settled here because we can't battle like this anymore. I'm not going to let the enemy overtake me because my God has already won. I've got perfect protection. His rod and his staff, they protect me and they comfort me no matter the cost. So what do I do <laughs> when the enemies are getting loud and they're getting vocal and, and, and I don't know what to do with them? I just start singing. I don't even have to address them. You're good. You're good. You're so good, God. You're good. Oh, 